Broadcasting live from Kristen Stewart and TJ Miller's Underwater, this is Pop Culture Reference, your one-stop reference for all things pop culture. I'm one of your hosts, Gareth Strother. And I'm your other host, Seamus Connolly. And today we are diving into Meg 2, colon, The Trench. A, a movie I never in my wildest fantasies thought I would be so excited about in, at, post-viewing. I, I I have so much to say for some reason about this movie. We have to save it. We have to, just like during the movie where all we wanted to do was talk about <laughs> the movie. That family sitting in front of us, I hope, did not, that was no matter how much we were loving this movie. But first, we have to get into some news, and we do have, you know, a bit of a docket this week, including, of course, a strike update. The AMPTP has brought a counteroffer to the WGA, and coming up next week, the WGA will share their response. So, by next week's episode, we will hopefully have more of an update, although I'm guessing the WGA's response will be, here's actually all of our demands, and the AMPTP will go, no, we're still not budging on anything is my suspicion. Yeah, you know what? For for whatever reason, I feel like you're right on that. That's just kind of how these studios are have been feeling. Like the attitude the in the public face of these studios are like, yeah, let them let them tire themselves out like toddlers basically is how they've been viewing this. Well, just like Zazlav, we mentioned last week, Paramount is out here bragging that the strikes are going to increase their cash flow significantly for the rest of the year. So and yeah, that is, I mean, one, just absolutely insulting, along with every other billion dollar company out there saying very similar things. But if, if that is true in any way, I feel like, you know, the offer that is going to be brought to the table to the WGA isn't going to be much to shake a stick at at all. Or it's a it's a, a bluff tactic to be like, we're going to, you you know, I don't know. I feel again, I feel like there's so much at play here that we don't even know about and I don't think this is going to be I don't think this is going to be the end of it. No, the picketing is still going strong and there's been no progress from the AMPTP in regards to the SAG after negotiations. So, I guess the the update this week is keeping on keeping on business as usual, <laughs> yeah. but hopefully studios will come around sooner or later, but I'm not holding my breath, Seamus. And next up on the news here, a couple very tragic passings, starting with film legend William Friedkin passed away this week. I mean, legend. Like I said, there's nothing, like, he is so synonymous with classic, incredible film, The Exorcist, uh, The French Connection, a movie I need to personally revisit, Sorcerer, because I was absolutely not mature enough to take that movie for what it was, and looking back on it, I was probably just being a, you know, when does the sorcerer show up, you know, being that <laughs> jerk, but but I, I really, it, it, I remember it being at least incredibly beautiful. I am really something of a Friedkin novice. I have not, I have wanted to see a lot of his movies for a long time, and I've not broken in very much past the surface level stuff that he's really famous for, and I think it's very interesting to see the reception to his death instead of being, you know, there are folks that are like, we're freaking people and you know we're just gonna celebrate his entire filmography there's a lot of people that are coming out of the woodwork to be like yeah guy made a couple of classics and then a lot of really weird stuff and who cares about that and i felt i felt you know inept or or under equipped to defend friedkin's legacy because i don't feel like i personally have gone deep enough into his filmography to really defend it which but it's a shame that like you know i i, I think about brian de palma and how brian de palma's mm. filmography is filled of the you know these these acclaimed high points uh these commercial high points like things like mission impossible and blowout and the untouchables and that i'm like i wouldn't want people to just go okay De Palma made some really great like pretty successful mm. movies and some other weird stuff and i feel like that's what's happening to friedkin that friedkin is getting pigeonholed and so i definitely want to go in and really deep dive on the rest of his work just to make sure that i am fully appreciating the filmography of one of the great filmmakers of the 20th century and certainly one of the seminal filmmakers of the new hollywood 
Hollywood movement. You know, I think I completely agree with that. Like I said, I kind of mentioned the few that I have seen that everybody else is probably judging a lot of their memories of his work on. So I, w- I would like to get into the quote-unquote weird stuff myself and, and really really see what we're working with here. Also, you know how I love The French Connection. I've talked about The French yeah, Connection oh, yeah. on the show before. One of my favorite film school viewings of literally anything I saw in film school was The French Connection. I was a big fan. But also passing away in the news this week at a devastatingly young age of 64 is Johnny Hardwick, known pretty much exclusively for his transcendent portrayal of beloved character Dale Gribble Mm. on King of the Hill. I Dale is my favorite character on a show full mm-hmm. of outstanding characters and what makes him so special is while Dale is funny in his own right the way that Hardwick delivers every single gribble line <laughs> gives so much more dimension and personality and just even something as simple as pocket sand while pocket being sand. <laughs> a funny concept and gag in its own right the way he says Pocket sand is so, (laughs) it's an earworm out of a two word nothing phrase. And there's just nobody else that can do that. And I really, really hope that they cancel this King of the Hill revival because Dale is vital to the show. Oh, yeah. Cannot be recast. He uh, truly the best character on that show. I feel like, I mean, I I love me some Bill. Bill makes me laugh every time, but. Bill Dotrieff. That's the point. Bill Dodger. Oh, beautiful. <laughs> but Dale is is the star. When it when it's a Dale episode, you know it you're in for a treat there. Sometimes there's some some more Hank centric episodes, like and I'm like, okay, you know, I got you. But when it's a Dale one, you know it's the it's the absolute best. The episode where Dale drives to Daly Plaza and does his own investigation about what happened during the Kennedy assassination <laughs> is one of the funniest episodes of television ever. Oh, so unapologetically, absolutely crazy. I love him. I love him so much. And I, you know, with the King of the Hill revival stuff, maybe they'll do... Like, I know with some of the Simpsons voice actors over the years who have passed, I know they've done, like, really nice in-universe, in in-the-show in things to, you know, pay the respects to that character and not necessarily just, like, recast uh, a character with just somebody else. So I, I, I'm hoping that it's a little more of that kind of treatment. I we, One can hope, but I don't think I'm interested in King of the Hill without Dale. So I, I agree. Out. But last up on the docket here, we have a Disney danger. <laughs> another danger. <laughs> Jesus, the up on a universal unrest like it was last <laughs> week, which was quite the c- cacophony. Definitely. <laughs> but Hulu and Disney Plus, taking the lead from industry standard Netflix, are looking into tactics on cracking down on password sharing. So we all know how, how popular it was when Netflix decided to implement this strategy. So it makes sense that Disney would want to get in on that action. Yeah, Disney, they have been very comfortable just going with the flow. As the new kid on the block in terms of streaming services, like major top three streaming services, they have just been sneaking in there. They they have they have not earned their, their price hikes and password crackdowns just yet, I feel like. They're... They're, they're playing it a little too fast here, even though we have just also like recently talked about how like it's still fairly worth it for the amount of stuff that they still have on there. Even if, you know, Mandalorian seasons haven't been really hitting the spot as of late, but they've got they've got all the vault stuff, all the other Star Wars things that we know that we want to watch. I'm I'm hoping that this at least is pushed off by, you know, however long, like they did with Netflix for a while. I'm, I'm not looking forward to it. With all of that behind us, once again, it's, it's weird that since the strikes happened, we've had such a negative news cycle, but here we are. Yeah, strange how that is, right? <laughs> I think we go ahead, dive in, as you said, to the Meg 2. Let's do it. For today's main segment, we are going deep on Meg 2 colon The Trench. Meg 2, Meg 2, Not the Meg (laughs) 2, thank you very much. Meg 2, The Trench. Meg 2, Meg 2, Meg 2, Meg 2. 
Oh man, where do you? We've got a lot of returning players from last week here today. We, we of course, Jason Statham. We've got Paige Kennedy coming back as DJ. Very happy to see him. You, you know, you said last week, and I don't want to get too far into it. You said last week how you were hoping they were going to give him a more fleshed out personality. What if they gave him three more fleshed out personalities? Yeah, dude. Hey, hey, they're 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 catching up for the the Meg franchise that we that is impending on on the world. It is. We were we were really going back and forth during this movie of like they've made oh man they made the Meg Fast and the Furious oh man they made the Meg Die Hard oh man they made the Meg this that every it was everything we you very rightfully compared it to Black Adam in in just how haphazard and crazy and fun it was and I think it, it was like it was like three Black Adams at once truly I. I'm going to say this because I think that this movie is better than Black Adam. I think it's more successful yeah. at being... Because Black Adam is just a fascinating movie to watch. And it's a comedy, but it's not... Like, the other parts of it don't really work as well. This fires on many more cylinders than something like Black Adam does, I think. And I'm, and I'm similarly obsessed with it. I think you and I last year, around this same time, got Dark Horse Black Adam as a movie that we didn't expect a ton from and we're kind mm-hmm. of doing for the bit. And then we're like, oh man, there's actually a lot going on on here that is like, it's the kind of trash I want to watch. And exactly. Let me tell you, last week we said a lot about how the Meg wasn't crazy enough and let me tell you that meg to the trench is crazy enough it's it's as crazy as you can imagine it is and more it is so off the walls in every single way it's like it's a pretty long movie it's like two hours and it is like every time you think you're settling into the movie that you're watching they're just like nope yeah you thought it was but it definitely is not here we go again it's it, it it truly kept me on my toes for the entire two hours, and I, I, I kind of loved it. Not to mention that, again, not to get too far into things, uh, something that we felt that the Meg was missing that would amplify its impact on us, that would make us obsess over it in the way we may obsess <laughs> over other dumb action franchises featuring Jason Statham, is if they put more of an emphasis on family. Family. And let me tell you, I think we might have to introduce another family. <laughs> yeah, I think so. And I mean, family. Oi, it's more family. 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 I, I, it, maybe it helps that Jason Statham is the the layer between families. He is the he is the Venn diagram center of the family vibe here, but. It's so good. He he's anchoring this family, and again, without getting too far into it, his character uh, Jonas, of course, he specifically really sinks a little more into. And I mean, that's probably just plussed up writing since the first one came out. But he cares more. I feel like about his friends, even though there's a there's a little bit of that in the first one. He really cares about his friends in this one. I agree. I think that they did a lot. We will get into the specifics of this later, but a lot happens off screen between movies, and I think that that was a really good choice. Yeah, you know what? We don't need to be every step of the way here, because it is a really spicy opening with Jonas. We we kind of got to figure things out as we go. The casting decisions of of that we were speaking about last week kind of fit right into place and we don't need a whole a whole movie explaining them i i thought it it was very well done but i gotta be i mean ben wheatley a lot of people are really trashing this movie especially compared to ben wheatley's previous work but i think that those people don't know how to have fun yes this is not this isn't gonna win any oscars i don't think but it's 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 a summertime blockbuster style movie, you know? It was a nearly empty theater on on pretty early after release that we were at, but I think that if people just wanted to have a fun summer day, that's a fun summer day kind of movie. And I'm going to I'm going to back it up with like there is no better craft in this one, I wouldn't really say than there is in the first one. I don't think I think it's a pretty ugly movie to be honest. 
Oh, it yeah. Has moments where there's a split diopter shot in this. So <laughs> yeah, I, actually, I, I take that back a little. There's some more craft in this than there is in the last one, but it's still generally a ugly, green screeny, CGI. Oh, yeah. Like hellscape that it's still executed in a way that i just really 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 enjoy again it's not kong skull island nothing no, ever not, will be yeah kong. not much is but but boy is it a good time and i think that i just want to get into spoilers as soon as possible i think basically. we should i i think we have much to talk about they really went off the walls on this one because if you enjoyed the first meg you're gonna enjoy this one probably more so so please just go, just go see it it's just the best meg word. movie that is for sure it is the best Meg movie. Yeah, absolutely. But, but now we're in official spoilers for Meg 2. Meg 2. Meg, Meg 2. 2. Meg 2. <laughs> Lee Bingbing is dead. She has been killed off screen. Lee Bingbing died on the way back to her home. <laughs> Jonas has adopted Mei Ying as his own, even though she has a biological uncle who she's fairly <laughs> close with. I think that's a very interesting choice. Well... We know from meeting, I think that I was a little worried about how Jing Wu was going to kind of work in the scheme of the cast because he was clearly such a high profile character being injected into this franchise and essentially being introduced as a co-lead for Statham. (laughs) um, You know, I think they do a pretty good job of being like, well, you're, you know, your dad and your mom didn't really, or your grandpa, I should say, and your mom. Right. My dad and your mom didn't get along with me too well when they were still alive. But now uh, I'm going to, the proud family shark hunting business, I'm taking it over. And it is it is both for their honor and memory and also for China, for the great, for the great. Oh, yes, absolutely. <laughs> that is, that is th- th- laid on thick. And uh, I, I hate to say that I would, that it added to the movie i didn't add (laughs) to the movie for you i really because the whole thing is such it feels like you're as much as the first movie feels like a fake movie this really (laughs) feels like a fake movie and it adds to the whole kind of weird sense of artifice and and removal from reality where there's a scene at at the end where they're sitting on a beach toasting everything and what i don't remember what his exact line is but they're you know they're having their family moments on the beach at the end mm-hmm. and he toasts like three different things and you leaned over me and you were like to china and i was like that would have just been in the movie <laughs> this that- is, there's a straight up line where there, he's like doing his big scientist speech about the ocean and stuff and he's like for china and all mankind and everyone's like here here Zhang, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh i love china love it oh <laughs> But man, it's really, it's kind of great though. I mean, it's so, it's lovely. Every American tourist is written as like an absolute pig, which is very funny (laughs) when they're on like the beaches. And also the main American Cruella DeVille style villain is like the, she is truly the most cartoonish villain in the most cartoonish movie. One of her lines is something along the lines of, we'll destroy the oceans, but who cares? We'll make billions. And I'm like, what? Disney Channel, <laughs> did you crawl out of, lady? This is so funny. Oh, you're like the fourth so bad. bad guy, and you're so over the top. It's so like that's <laughs> this movie is so bad, but it is just oh. incredible to watch. It is so fun, and there, I we got to come back to this. Is something I leaned over to you what thirty minutes into the movie and said, "This is just Jurassic Park 2. Yeah, all right. Yeah, we we really should get into this because not only is it just Jurassic part two it's it's also jurassic world if good and fun like it is far and above every actual jurassic world movie that chris pratt has ever starred in like i don't want to hear if anybody knocking this movie has a positive view of jurassic world i don't want to canceled they're done i don't they're muted they're getting blocked on social media because that is that's preposterous this is the more fun less over explained less aggravating style of like let's just throw prehistoric beasts onto a beach of regular people and watch them go crazy because you and i were wondering for a long time that we were like do you think that maybe for because it was fresh on our minds about how the 
these movies often cater to the Chinese market, which was our pop Mm. culture reference last week. And if you didn't listen to that, please go back and listen, because it's going to inform a lot of our conversation today, I think. Yeah, it already has, I think. (laughs) And so something that we were wondering is, do you think that in the Chinese version, Jing Wu does all of the action sequences that Jason Statham does? And then (laughs) in the third act, we realized, no, just like, you know, Hollywood and the great nation of China are, are different, but equal. <laughs> uh, Jason Statham has the Megs as his adversary, and they they are great and powerful, and he will take them down single-handedly. But Jing Wu gets to have not... Well, he kind of gets two. He both gets the Velociraptor amphibious little little dinosaur yeah things. like running around dino creatures and he gets the octopus although really the meg gets the octopus in the end but like he's like he's like building a fertilizer bomb and jumping into the ocean with it duct taped to a machete to like <laughs> one-on-one a it's giant so octopus cool. it's crazy and that's after he takes out the like velociraptor dinos with like a, a like a gasoline explosion where he's like flying off in the Cliff Curtis is just like, "All right, Jang, you do everything. I'm not the star here. You do everything and I'll go get the helicopter." And then that's I, kind of where he stays. I love that Cliff Curtis is such a nothing character <laughs> in the first movie. And we were both like, they should bring Cliff Curtis back, I think. And they proceed to keep him for 90% of this movie as the guy that stands in the control room with a cup of coffee and barks orders at other people. And then in the last 20 minutes, maybe a little bit longer than that, in the third act, he becomes like the third commando with the two leads, which is hysterical. (laughs) He's like kind of the commando though, but also he just is trapped in the crashed helicopter for, you know, like he doesn't really, he's dropping the heroes off where they need to be. He's like, oh, there's only one jet ski. Here, you take it, Jason Statham. I know you just handed this makeshift spear to me, but I'm out of here. I guess the real third commando is DJ straight out of a John Woo movie? Yes. I am... Because you also, you leaned over to me at some point and you were like, he's gonna, he has to learn how to swim at some point. And it's like, nope, time jump happened. He has a desert eagle with shark poison tipped bullets, quote, like Jaws 2. And I'm like, all right, he's been like consuming shark media to prepare to go back to the ocean. I love it. And he learned like karate to like hand to hand take down a bunch of Australian mercenaries. He's so cool and badass. Oh yeah. And he learned how to swim, which is like the least of the crazy things that he reveals. We haven't even talked about the trench part of this movie. The man, the, they are not even in subs anymore. They, a manned (laughs) expedition to the bottom of the trench where they're in like edge of tomorrow diving mech suits yeah it is and they they set it up too of like look at how strong we are when we punch big rocks with these mech suits and then i don't even think they fist fight the sharks which is garbage if i'm being honest no they do they do when they don't when though they're trying to, when they're trying to get into the secret base that corella deville funded <laughs> with the guy with the mustache yeah 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 that guy they're fighting them off remember? but they have they're like the spear off. gun shotgun things remember oh that that's true. And then What's-Her-Name's head gets imploded, which is fun. You know, that's pretty gnarly, but they also don't really show much. Well, th- that and lots of people get got pretty quickly. We've, there's the weird cosplay guy. <laughs> yeah, the nerd guy who gets his oh. helmet sucked off by the... It's like sucker cups on the tentacles, like, rip his helmet off or whatever, I think is the implication. And then the other girl's like, we gotta go back for him! And it's like, what are you even talking about? You know where you are oh there's the part because well it's also well i guess technically let's be real if jason statham (laughs) can fill his sinus at the bottom of the ocean and not get imploded so funny it's like they're like will that even work and the one person is like it sounds crazy but it will trust us and we're like no absolutely not no diving suit at the bottom of the ocean i'll go swim around the outside i'll let you in and it's Ah, madness. It's madness. Which is also the scene where I think we first both were like, so in China, does Jing Wu fill his sinus and go over <laughs> to the other side? And Also, I want to point out, I'm really glad we talked so much about The Abyss last week because 
also in this movie, there's so much of the abyss when they're down in the trench. Yeah, it's uh, those diving suits, the the like really dank kind of messed up underwater base that they're kind of stuck in for a while. Even having to swim like in the abyss, Ed Harris has to swim to the other hatch because that they is can't get through inside. You're right. Yeah, that is. Yeah, they're because I mean, there's also no shortage of like straight up jaws rips too. I know again that is the lowest hanging reference fruit, but they are like like I didn't want to say I couldn't explain this all in the theater at the time. But even the way that Jason Statham is like slapping the water to attract the me- the final Meg at the end is like mm-hmm. straight out of Jaws too. I mean, you've got not to mention shot for shot things out of Jurassic Park, shot for shot things out of Die Hard. They do the t- they yeah, do dude. Jason Statham. Oh well, speaking of Jaws, I guess first of all, on the dock at the end, the way Jason Statham slides across the dock is both exactly like Quint at the end of Jaws, but also the docks scene from the first Jaws. From the first one, yeah. But right before that, they have Jason Statham under the dock while the main bad guy is walking <laughs> over it like the table scene and, from yeah. Die Hard. And instead, they've got, instead of um, I'll keep that in mind, they've got, see you later, chum. Yeah, absolutely iconic. I, the the one-liners are, you'd, you'd almost think that that's too far in the, the goof direction, but it's just the cherry on top of all of this. It's so insane. They, I also like that. So for the entire time that they're down in the trench, there is this enemy, the guy with the mustache who we were just talking about. The Montez. Montez, yes, thank you. Who's down, kind of doing his own thing in the trench while they're also down in the trench. And you know, he's sabotaging the base and things. And then also while they're down in the trench, we find out that the woman in the chair, like that is with DJ is evil. And so you've got these two villains, and then they get together. Once he gets up to the surface, they get together, and they make out and it's like, oh, they're in love. It's like, that's part of the villain thing. And then <laughs> they immediately kill her. They imme- one second after they reveal that they are in love, they immediately kill her to make him like punished Montez. Yeah, the, he gets two really funny like scream to the heavens moments where he's just like really in anguish. But he's such a he's such a forgettable bad guy in all of this, even even doing all the diehard stuff. Even doing all the abyss stuff, he's so he's so lame. Uh, Chekhov's trained Meg that doesn't do anything in this movie. Oh my god, yeah, I guess it's a setup for the future of the Meg Chise, the franchise of Megs out here. It Which, is that's something I really respect about this franchise is they don't do the blatant. There's no post credit scene. There's no blatant like, oh no, there's another the trench. Oh I no, guess, I guess we'll be black. seeing her later. It's like it's just it's just kind of just implied. Yeah. The first and one kind of had the, like, you could, you heard, like, the Meg growl over, like, right before they start to credits or whatever. But, like, it's so, it's so small, you can, like, miss it pretty much. But, yeah, it's a fascinating thing where they, they do all of this work to set up that Zhang has trained the Meg. This Meg that they've bred in captivity. And that it trusts him and listens to him. And then it breaks out when they go to the trench and it finds them all the way in the middle of the ocean and there's some there's some alarmism about that and then at the end you're like oh okay so it's gonna come back at the end and it just doesn't it just does like there is yeah. a moment where it seems like they're gonna have to fight it maybe and that's gonna be the end of the movie but no it works and then it leaves the question open for is this the villain of the next film or like i hope i hope this movie made enough money to get another one because oh yeah i mean it has to have jason statham needs to ride that meg and fight another meg that is yeah. what needs to happen in the next movie it it needs to be like Planet of the Apes where there's like bad Meg that's like the real angry one and then there's like good guy I'm I can't even remember the name of the train shark something Hachi, with it Hachi I think that's what it is and you're right he needs to ride Hachi and they set up like the Megs are mating in the trench so they need to set up like Meg wars you know like really set up a uh, two walls of like a hundred Megs swimming into each other that, that it's my wish list I agree. the opening of this did not have high hopes for me 
Because they do the setup of they show you all the dinosaurs and then the Meg eats the T-Rex. Mm. And obviously that's to set up the little dinosaur things that come back in the trench later. Kind of like, it's a Kong Skull Island situation. Oh yeah, for you. sure. But I think that it's such, that was such a boring, lifeless, that should be the coolest thing I've ever seen in a movie is the dinosaurs fighting each other and then getting yeah, eaten a, by a the Yeah, a T-Rex's Meg. head being chomped by a Meg on the beach is like, that's, you describe that, that sounds like it should be the most badass thing, but. And it's really boring. And then the, when when the movie wins you over is when you realize that Jason Statham is an eco spy. Yeah, he is. He's like sending himself in shipping containers to break out to gather evidence and get like James Bond style scooped up by a by a seaplane in the ocean. It's like it's it's rad. He's he's arguing with a parrot who says bull crap when he's <laughs> lying. That's a weird little like that's such a weird little joke in this movie yeah man i guess it kind of does set up you know there I, I, i'm giving this more movie more credit than it deserves animals in captivity that are learning from oh yeah their that, masters but are never really honestly, fully you know that's kind of smart that you might be giving it due credit then because i didn't even think of that and i i feel kind of dumb now because that that makes a lot of sense what, what i was thinking about his activities as like a eco spy slash eco terrorist or whatever is that maybe these movies going forward i there's got something's gonna happen to that thermocline layer it's gonna be like global warming is like warming the trench and it's gonna release like the kingdom of the trench on the world and jason statham's gotta like stop it somehow i don't know stop global warming <laughs> outrun global warming on a jet trench ski to colon meg world yeah, don't give me stupid ideas that I like, Garrett, because that's really, that's almost Meg Wars, and that's exactly what I want. There's yeah, going to be a family I'm... of octopuses next time, because they keep giving us giant squids and octopuses, but they don't name them anything cool like the Meg. Yeah, the Meg, I mean, it's hard to top the Meg, come on. That's true, that's true, but I, people would be into a giant octopus too, I guess they blow it up and stuff, but. I really wanted to talk about that, that eco, eco spy opening, because yeah. that's just such oh. a great because they could have had him doing anything at the beginning of this movie but i love the fact that they're like no it's mission impossible or whatever it, it's it's the fast and the furious now kurt russell's gonna show up in the next movie dude he might who knows he's gonna be like i could see a kurt russell type being like a like i run the sea world equivalent in this he runs the jurassic park sea world and he's like i want to buy your meg and they're like it's too it's too powerful to be kept and train for entertainment and he's like i'm gonna steal a meg baby and that's gonna be like the Ooh. dino egg that he is working with it's gonna it's gonna be like jurassic park 2 again yeah this movie okay we didn't ever really fully expand on how much this movie is jurassic park 2 because oh yeah got, okay you've got the the weary guy who's seen this before i think i actually leaned over to you in the movie theater and said yeah ooh, ah, that's how it always starts then there's the running <laughs> and, the, and the screaming and... yeah you did oh that's very good but um, and, and not only do we have that but we have the stowaway tag along mm -hmm. daughter that is Mei Ying from the first movie and she's like I'm an adult now Jason Statham dad I can come with you to the trench you've got going and then of course also you have the classic like going back to the scene of the horrors of the first movie yes like mono one style or of course Jurassic Park 2 and uh, there are commandos in Jurassic Park 2 no I'm thinking of Jurassic Park 3 they've got a lot of commandos don't they no Jurassic Park 2 because at the end they're rounding all the dinosaurs yeah up, you're right yes in the crates and and of course, there is, not like, a there is not a scene, unfortunately, where a T-Rex rampages through San Diego. I, that is sad, but I was going to say, I mean, the Meg 1, the Meg has this as well, where it's like the final monster is rampaging through like a very, you know, a populated regular people area. So, And they have a lot more fun with that concept in this one than, I do, than they do in the first one, I think. Except I am a little disappointed they didn't, they brought back the dog, but they yeah. didn't do quite enough with it for me, I don't think. I, I could use a little bit more dog in this one. Dude, Jason Statham, they're gonna do another time jump for the next one, and Jason Statham will have adopted that dog from the beach in the last one. No, no, no. DJ is gonna have adopted that dog, and it's gonna be like, I only brought the dog with me to uh, 
Mana 2, the new station, because I, I love it so much and I can't leave it alone. It's going to be part of the adventure. You know, I'd be, I would be, I would be into, the dog <laughs> should be running through the glass under, under tunnel. Yes. They still haven't figured out a way to Meg proof, I guess. Yeah, how do they, how are they still fumbling that? That's the, that's like day one. You have to have that down pat. I got to say, if while, this is another thing we were talking about during the movie, even though they clearly have expanded Mana 1 significantly since the first movie, they only have three submarines, even though they have an uh, entire fleet of them in the first one. They have three submarines, which are so, like, a, a, a strong breeze could sabotage those submarines. <laughs> like, it's so easy for the evil, the friend who turns out to be evil, to just, like, kind of mess with it. Just pull it out, mess with it, put it back like nothing happened. I was hoping a little bit there would be more of a Rain Wilson reference in this one. Like, yeah, just that me too. Rain Wilson money dried up <laughs> or something. Something about how uh, Brother Zhang is like, I had to buy the rest of the shares of that jackass's company to get my family's stuff back or whatever. Something. I don't know. Something. They get the other guy from the office who was in like the last two seasons who they called like Dwight Jr. to be like, oh, that was my dad and I, I own the station now, but I'm not like him. This isn't the first time I've brought, been brought in to replace Barry Zuckercorn. <laughs> <laughs> that's... Oh, God, that's great. But, I mean, what else is there to say about the Meg 2 other than it's... The, words cannot express how good <laughs> the Meg 2 is. How stupid is it that that's actually true? Like, people really actually need to just go see it. It's it's a blast. It is... Since I've seen the Meg in last week and all that, this is my new favorite, like, absolute trash movie. It's so good. It's so funny. It's the most fun, stupid action. We, we kind of just breezed past that DJ is like a John Woo action hero, but he actually dives through the air in slow-mo and like headshots one of the dinosaurs with his gun, like his custom gun. It's it's incredible. It's a, it's a rip-roaring good time. And I think we also gloss over the fact that, I mean, I know we mentioned it a little bit, but the inclusion of the family dynamic really does help this glue together a little bit more. Yes. Um, it would take a couple more movies for us to really get as obsessed with it as we are with Fast and the Furious. And Jason Statham would have to get a little bit more real life into it, I think. Um, <laughs> what do you mean? Like, Vin is so transparent. True, that, like, true. His entire life is the Fast and Furious family. And Jason Statham's like, oh, I'm just here for the paycheck. You know what I'm saying? Oh, my family. <laughs> <laughs> Dwayne. Dwayne Johnson, you gotta be in the Meg Three. You're you gonna to be the lifeguard. <laughs> you're gonna voice the. You're gonna do the mocap for the Meg. You no, know, they cross over with Baywatch, and the yeah. Meg is terrorizing the Baywatch beach. And Zac Efron is there. Zac Efron and surfs next to a Meg. I would come on. Pay yes, an dude. An exorbitant amount of money for Zac Efron <laughs> to get. Just get, it just starts, and there's it. See, you're like all of a sudden, oh, like, am I in the Baywatch sequel? What? Zac Efron's out surfing, and he just gets. Eaten in the first 30 seconds by a Meg and boom Meg 3 colon boom Meg 3 boom The Rock boom this summer Uh, I'd be there. I mean, I don't want The Rock really to be in things, but... <laughs> what if, I mean, if Jason Statham could pay The Rock enough money to get killed by the Meg in the Meg 3, then it would really be the ultimate... Because, again, that's another person that's like, he's in it for the cash. He's doing every Disney blockbuster thing. He's doing weird... You know, he did Rampage for whatever reason. Like, he'll be in stuff like The Meg. Th but that's the thing. The Meg is so much better than Rampage. Than Rampage? <laughs> Rampage... <laughs> is bad not even in a fun way did you see rampage i saw rampage opening weekend oh baby. dude come on that the the hq sponsored by rampage really got you to go see it in the theater i was already seeing quiet place and then the big theater was playing rampage and we were like i might as well yeah. <laughs> oh might as well oh it's me jason statham going to see <laughs> jason statham rampage. Who i was going to see the quiet place with <laughs> jason statham went with you to see Rampage was like, oh, I could do that, but better. Watch this. And then he made the Meg and the Meg to the trench. That's the thing, because, okay, Rampage, the whole thing is that 
the entire movie they have these like gas canisters or ejections that can turn normal animals into the rampage monsters. Is that what and, that is? That's what yeah. that movie's about. And then okay, so you know, there's the it's in <laughs> Chicago. It's they they what? They, they, bl- they blow up this. They literally spoilers for Rampage. Um, <laughs> there's a scene where they ride a hel- in order to get wind under the helicopter for them to take off. The Sears Tower collapses as they're on top oh, of it. That's and awesome. You, see, kinda. you think that sounds awesome, but it's just not. It just they don't have enough fun with it. And also, here's the big thing. There's a scene where Dwayne Johnson gets shot, and you're like, "Here it comes, baby." Here he's holding the canister of the yeah. rampage steroid. Yeah, what the movie's Time about. Time for hundred foot Dwayne Johnson. Dwayne Johnson never gets big. The whole movie, Dwayne Johnson just. Why? Wait, does I... he inject himself though? No. No. Why? That's, that's what so I'm dumb. It's it's you know what? Stupid. We're feeding Rampage to the Meg. Rampage <laughs> is canceled. It's over. Jo- George the gorilla is getting <laughs> fed to the Meg. Ah, oh, that's so dumb. I want to see big Dwayne Johnson ride a Meg that is now small compared to him, but now that'll just never happen. You understand the vision, Seamus. I, I feel like I do. I feel like we uh, people like us who can appreciate things like Meg 2, The Trench. You, it's cinephiles. C- uh, yeah, actual, actual kinophile <laughs> cinema lovers. I think we could be the ultimate people to make we the things like this that are for us in our idiot brains when we when we can activate them we could make the ultimate version of this and that's why i'm really defending ben wheatley because a lot of people are like ben wheatley what are you doing and i'm like ben wheatley saw the meg and said and was like it's good but it can <laughs> could be, be better. better yes exactly he made a magical wish on all of this chinese producer money and was like <laughs> let's go crazy and he did it and it was awesome i'm like a wuji or a jingwu fan now I want to like go. He was kind of great in this. He 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 stands up as the second lead pretty well. I completely agree. I think like, uh, you and I are gonna go watch Wandering Earth now. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Oh yes, <sighs> big time, big time fan. I I'm ready for the Meg Three. I think you're with me on that. I'm ready to go see the Meg Two again. Again, right yeah, now. dude. Before the end of the summer, hell yeah. Some some summertime summertime Magnus. <laughs> what a win. <laughs> Oh, but what do you say? I think we've exhausted the bag. What do you say we kick it on over and we do our pop culture reference this week? Let's do it, Seamus. For today's pop culture reference, we're going to be talking about the director's company. In the early 70s, with the director-centric emphasis of the new Hollywood movement on the rise, studios were eager to claim young hotshot directors rather than be left behind. With this mindset, Paramount Pictures approached three acclaimed new Hollywood filmmakers. Peter Bogdanovich, who was coming hot off his Academy Award-nominated drama The Last Picture Show and hit screwball comedy What's Up, Doc. Francis Ford Coppola, who had just won a Best Original Screenplay Oscar for Patton and was already working for Paramount on The Godfather. And William Friedkin, whose last two films, The French Connection and The Exorcist, were massive awards darlings and two of the most heralded films of the decade. Paramount's parent company's chairman, Charles Bloodhorn, recruited the trio for a brand new production company with the studio, where the filmmakers could make whatever films they liked as long as they stayed within a certain budget. With a goal of 12 total films and the possibility of expanding this endeavor into television, Paramount announced the inaugural three films for the newly christened director's company, Bogdanovich's Paper Moon, Coppola's The Conversation, and Friedkin's The Bunker Hill Boys. Ultimately, only three films were made before the director's company disbanded in 1974. Of the three initially announced, only Paper Moon and The Conversation were produced. Bogdanovich finished another film, Daisy Miller, and Friedkin never actually made a film under the director's company. The commercial failure of Daisy Miller in 1974 and the internal conflict about Friedkin's outwardly negative opinion of The Conversation were two major factors in its ultimate demise. Friedkin also speculated that Paramount executive Frank Yablins was purposely pushing difficult-to-market films under the director's company name to accelerate their failure. This is a chapter of New Hollywood history that I think is fascinating because clearly you can see that Charles Bloodhorn saw the writing on the wall with the New Hollywood movement. This is only a couple years. I mean, 1974, that's literally the years before Jaws comes out and changes Hollywood Mm. forever and ultimately kind of dooms the studio system for the next few decades. And he's trying to get ahead of it and he is hired. I mean, what a lineup. Obviously, the 
those receipts were already there in the 1970s. But to think about what Bogdanovich, Coppola, and Friedkin would go on to continue Mm -hmm. doing after 1972 when the director's company was founded, it shows incredible foresight, I think. And honestly, to get three films like Paper Moon, The Conversation, and Daisy Miller out of this incredibly short-lived production company is a very impressive track record. Yeah, this is a fascinating bit of history that I didn't really know much about but i the idea of like free reign like free creative reign over your projects despite anything else as long as you're like you know you have the right price tag on the entire production it's so that's so interesting to me and i i wish that there was a little bit more time given to that that idea under the director's company name to i mean god knows what they would have been able to come up with with that concept attached to this really experimental kind of major studio filmmaking totally and I, yeah, I really wish that they had gotten more opportunity. And it, it's sad to hear that Bogdanovich kind of regrets making Daisy Miller because it was such a commercial mm. failure. But that's still a really good movie. And I'm glad that he stands by it as, as a movie. But I can understand why he would be frustrated that that would lead to the ultimate disbanding of the director's company. But it, it's definitely something that I think it's very interesting to see the three of their personalities shine in. Mm. Because you, you've got Coppola, who made, I mean, what is arguably his best film, The Conversation. I don't, I don't think it touches The Godfathers, but it's still, I, I, you know how I love Gene Hackman. Oh yes, I was of course. The conversation, or I was mentioning The French Connection earlier, and the fact that he took a smaller scale project, an outlier from his projects like The Godfathers or Apocalypse Now, and made something that had that Coppola craft on a smaller scale. The fact that Bob Donovich is kind of the he comes from the Corman school of filmmaking you know he his first film was literally with Roger Corman and he's like you know what I'm gonna take I'm gonna churn two of these bad boys out and then Friedkin the typical free thinker that he was ultimately never ended up making anything because he was ha- having so many problems with the <laughs> yeah. studio free thinker stubborn bastard you know very that his <laughs> legacy and like it's uh, it's partially fascinating because these great films came out of it and you know it's such a weird chapter in Hollywood history but it's also fascinating because all three of these seminal directors personalities stand out so starkly I think in the course of the director's company's short lifespan yeah that's why I am very sad thinking about personality forward filmmakers and how it really is kind of impossible to keep that kind of band together if they're all trying to go off and and shine as as bright as they do in their own work it's it's fascinating but i i guess i can understand the demise as as fast as it happened yeah me too but i mean i recommend all the movies made under it it's too bad we'll never get to see the bunker hill boys from william friedkin so sad what do you say that we go ahead and move on though and save the rex let's do it save the rexer Now it's time to save the rec center where we bring you our weekly recommendations. Seamus, what do you got for me this week? Well, this week I did myself a favor and I got myself a little box set of the 2000 classic Battle Royale. One of my favorite, uh, most over-the-top action, brutal, violent movies that I can think of. It is from insane Japanese filmmaker Kinji Fukasaku. Who, this was his 70th film when he made it in 2000. Uh, he's a madman, absolute legend in the Japanese film industry. And he based this off a book and then said, screw the book. I'm making it up as we go. And it turned out into the most insane film about a, a class of ninth graders that have to murder each other on an island with bomb collars strapped to their necks. It's it's quite a it's quite a film, Garrett, I, I assure you. And I, I think I have rec centered this in the in the distant, distant past of this show. But I'm specifically rec centering the director's cut or otherwise known as the special edition in some other countries where it's just even weirder and crazier and they fit in all of these like backwards flashbacks that like pepper in these backstories to these kids that some of them don't last too long on screen really so it's it's a very interesting expansion of what the original version of the film actually is it was really picking up a lot of steam when it came out 
uh, in 2000 because Quentin Tarantino was very vocal about how much he loved this movie. And he, d- I, I don't think he loves this movie for the reason that this movie should be admired. Um, <laughs> that's he, <laughs> it's that's about- the thing about him is that he loves a lot of really great movies. And it, I'm very glad that he's popularized so many of them. However, I would not like to talk <laughs> about those movies with him, I don't think. Yeah, cause, I mean, it's it's... This movie, Battle Royale, is very hyper-violent, of course, and I, I can tell he he got a lot of inspiration for, you know, his Kill Bill films, which I actually very much enjoy. He actually pulled a couple cast members from the Battle Royale cast to, to come into his, into the Kill Bill-verse, but um, I think it's a little, I think it's, a, like, and again, he popularized this movie a lot when it came out, when it was in the festival circuit, and he, you know, that was a big, like, marketing thing for this movie was like look at famous american director quentin tarantino really talking up battle royale but you're not like kind of hit the nail on the head of like i don't want to watch battle royale with quentin tarantino i don't think i think that would make me supremely uncomfortable to see how much he enjoys watching japanese schoolgirls get like decapitated and stuff and not really like look past it a little bit more like you kind of need to with this yeah, it's a little weird. <laughs> but if you have, if you can look past that and look at a little bit of a, a greater message, highly recommend this movie. It is insane. It just be be prepared for overacting and and the most insane hyperviolence from a movie from two thousand that you've ever seen. But Garrett, what do you have to save the rec center this week? Well, this week I am recommending something that I've already pitched to you off mic just because I was so excited to talk about it, which is the 1972 Sidney Poitier-directed Western Buck and the Preacher. It's the Reconstruction-era South. Poitier himself plays a wagon master named Buck who is helping freed slaves move north even while they're terrorized by, like, labor agents down Mm. south who are trying to get them back down to plantation land. And he, I wouldn't exactly say teams up with, but has a run-in with and and travels alongside for a while a con man preacher played by Harry Belafonte. This is a movie I had wanted to see for a really long time, and I'm really glad I finally pulled the trigger on it. It also recently got a Criterion release, which I didn't realize until after I had watched it. And it is such a blast. It is dark and political and hilarious and has aged inconceivably well, much better than a lot of Westerns have aged for Mm. very obvious reasons. And it has a great portrayal not only of what black Americans were going through in this time and place in American history, but also what American Indians were going through at this time and place in American history. It's a really interesting watch. I think it is bafflingly obscure, despite how celebrated Poitier and Harry Belafonte are, and how good this movie is. So, I highly recommend seeking it out. It does pop up on TCM from time to time, and I do believe that you can rent it on Amazon. It would also not surprise me if it comes to a Criterion channel at some point, so keep your eyes peeled, and I bet that you could you could find it on a streaming service if you don't want to outright rent it. I think that sounds like an incredible time. You did kind of soft pitch me this movie the other day, and I, I it sounded interesting then. It sounds even more interesting now. That sounds like an incredible acting team up there, and I, I would love to know the, the dynamics that they hold in that movie, and I, I'm definitely going to check it out to, to see it for myself. But I think that wraps us up for this week's episode of Pop Culture Reference. If you want to reach the show you can find us on twitter tiktok and instagram at pcr underscore podcast you can email the show at popculturereferencepod at gmail.com find us on facebook youtube interact with us in whatever way you can it really does help us out with whatever engagement we get next week i am so excited to be covering the last voyage of demeter with you seamus the dracula on a boat movie as the internet yeah. has dubbed it i mean that's what it is isn't it that's what i'm going in with my uh with my mind at oh yeah it is i mean it's it's fast and we'll get into this more next week it's based off of a single chapter from the dracula novel from Bram Stoker's dracula and i think that we're gonna have a really good time if the reviews that i've been reading are any indication well i am absolutely thrilled to go get into that one with you i've i've been nothing but excited the more i hear about it so look for it next week folks see you next week everybody adios amigos